Hello and welcome to the Stop Devaluation Podcast. I'm your host and founder of the Stop Devaluation Movement, Melody Hilton. The heart of this movement is to see the value in all of humanity and live courageous lifestyles of using our power for good instead of harm. We can affect change by choosing validation over judgment. And I hope you'll take your place and make a positive impact in this world. Every experience we have and words spoken to or about us is planted in the soil of our minds. These images, words, and attitudes are things we must process through as we navigate through our lives. We learn to place this invisible armor over our hearts and our mind so that they do not negatively penetrate our identity and our self-worth. In this episode, Denise Deku shares her story of growing up both multiracial and multicultural. This presented her with some unique challenges, which she calls a bag of burdens. She also learned many life lessons, positioning her to be a champion of diversity, equality, and inclusion. Denise, I am so honored to have you on the Stop Devaluation My Story interview. Well, thank you. I'm happy to be here. When we talked over the phone, it was like we were kindred spirits and and uh, just so many things that you're doing excite me because it's truly stopping devaluation in our world. Thank you so much for all that you do. Uh, it's really my passion. So I'm, I'm happy to, to be here and talking with you about this. One thing that I've learned is that a lot of times our passion or our voice often comes from our own experiential reality. And instead of getting bitter, we get better. And we begin to release a voice that is solution-driven rather than propagating the problems in our society. So tell me about sure. your story. Sure. Well, um, I was born in Brooklyn, New York, and in a very diverse community. And um, my parents are both um, from mixed backgrounds. And so there's a lot of diversity in my family on my maternal and my paternal side. And so the way I show up in, in the world um, often causes people to ask me, you know, what are you? Right, because I I have a look that is sort of mixed. I'm not biracial, but I'm multiracial or multicultural um, as well. Right, mm-hmm. and so this lived experience that I've had um, growing up and through you know the years has really provided for me a, a lot of like, personal experiences uh, that have helped shape how I see myself mm-hmm. and also how I react in the world. Right to to those. Uh, to those questions, to those behaviors, to experiences that I've had. And many of them have been positive, but there have been a number of negative experiences also, um, where from the external um, community, whether I was in school or attending a function or an event, um, that there were times when I was called out of my name because of my of how I show up. Mm-hmm. Um most of my positive reinforcement happened at home, 
where, you know, my, my parents were very clear about the fact that we were equal to anybody else, just yeah. as good as anyone else. Um, and also it taught some other lessons that were really valuable, that there, there will always be people who will have more than you. There will always be people who have less than you, mm. you know, but, uh, and so we treat everyone with respect and dignity. Yes. Now, um, as you were growing up, and people ask you what race you were, and because you're multiracial, how did you feel? How how did you respond? What was going through the mind of maybe a little girl that wasn't quite sure how to answer that without a long explanation? Right. Well, when I was younger, for the most part, and when I was a little girl, it wasn't so much that people asked me what I was it was more other children would tell me Mm. what I was. You know, I actually had uh, a friend who lived down the street who was over my house. We were playing Barbies. This is, you know, a long time ago, right? Mm -hmm. And in the middle of us playing, and she had been to my house several times, you know, she just asked me, she said, are you a Negro? And I said, why? She said, well, and I was really kind of stumped by the question. It took me aback. And she said, because you have kinky hair and a bulbous nose. Now, now we were like 10 years old. Hmm. And I, was, I knew that what she was saying wasn't positive. And so I was offended, and, and I just asked her to leave my house. And, and we were never friends again. And it was just sad because I think that what she asked me was a result of maybe conversations that mm-hmm. were Mm-hmm. Because at ten, who uses the word bulbous? I didn't even know what it meant. I just knew that it couldn't have been good. And so, you know, it was sad for her that she was learning some negative connotations about people who maybe look like me, you know, or 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 were African American or black. And and for me, it was sad because we had we were friends, and whatever she was being taught, whatever she was learning was offensive to me and so it really ended the friendship yeah and and so situations like that occurred often where people would ask me what I was and then as I got older and then clarify why they were asking me um there was a a time when I was I had moved from New York to St. Louis and uh, I was applying for a position and it's just a Christmas uh a holiday position I, ha- I was a stay-at-home mom at the time with three small children. Wow. And so I went to a department store. I was going to work for the, the Christmas holiday, just temporary. And the store manager asked me, uh, you know, after we had gone through this short interview, uh, he asked me where he could put me. He said, I just don't know where I could put you. I, mm. You know, I, I couldn't put you in fine jewelry or in, in um, a, a department that would provide, um, you know, more incentives. And, and, and I just looked at him. He said, because I don't know what you would sell is what he said to me. Wow. And I, <laughs> and coming from New York and having had such, you know, so many lived experiences around this and just being really disappointed in him, I said, you know, I could, I could sell anything. And, and I had worked in Manhattan. He didn't know this necessarily, but I worked in Manhattan for seven years. 
you know, for for um, a major international corporation, and then again for another um, international corporation. And so I said, I, I could sell you. <laughs> I didn't know what to, you know, I was just so offended. And he hired me. He hired me on the spot after that. But and and he put me in one of the worst departments in terms of being able to sell because it was a really odd item that that I was selling and and I sold the heck out of it. And by the time the Christmas season was over, you know, I left because it was just temporary anyway. But I I hope that that resonated with him that you know he had made some assumptions about me um, based on you know my not being white and. Um, and I kind of blew his expectations out of the water because I did really well. He wanted me to stay, but I really only intended to be there for, you know, a short period of time. What is sad so, is that you had to process through people's attitudes and mindsets and biases, even as a little girl. So did yeah. that ever affect you emotionally, your your self-worth, your sense of how valuable you truly are? Um. Again, because my parents were very mm-hmm. uplifting, um, it didn't actually affect how I saw myself. Good. Uh, it just meant that I needed to have an armor around me, mm. you know, if you will, so that what people said wouldn't penetrate and and affect me that way. Um, I can remember my first day going to college as an upperclassman. And being able to move out of the regular dorms into a building that had suites. And so um, these suites were six-person suites. So there are three bedrooms, two bathrooms, and and so six people, you know, w- would reside there. And on the day that we were moving in, my parents were with me and, you know, we were moving my furniture in. And as I got to the door of the suite, another young lady and her parents arrived at the same time. And so as we got there, she she looked at me and said, this is suite 303. And I said, I know. And she just looked me up and down and said, can't be. Oh, my. And so I didn't know how else to take that other than, you know, she saw me as a non-white person and just said, this can't be, you know, that I would be living with you. And so... <laughs> This was many, many years ago, and I've told this story many times, because when these experiences happen, yeah. there's really nowhere to, to lay them down, to rid of them permanently. So they just kind of fill up in a little invisible bag of burdens, I call them, mm-hmm. you know, that you kind of drag around with you, and they can really affect you personally, yeah. you know, and, and, and emotionally, if you let them. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, you just lay it down off to the side and, and you don't think about it until, of course, the next thing happens, which may be a microaggression or a comment or a behavior you know, that, that makes you feel, that's designed, I guess, to make you feel less than. Although it's not intention, necessarily intentionally meant by the other person, but these microaggressions and, and you know prejudices just kind of seep in. We don't even realize we're doing it, right? And but so I is lay that... Them down. As that bag gets fuller and fuller and fuller, those little things just are another thing that could be a tipping point to affect yeah. how we view ourselves or even how we view others. 
because isn't it's such a battle because at times when you look at something like that, uh, there's a battle going inside of you. Maybe let me know if I'm wrong, that it's Mm -hmm. not just how you view yourself, but then how you're viewing someone else through their shallow comments or their, their lack of understanding or empathy. And, and so you'd probably have to deal with even just properly navigating how other people are responding. Oh, most definitely. Most definitely. And so I felt that by the time I was in high school, I had pretty much learned to master Mm -hmm. um, how, how I, how I dealt with people. And the way I did that was that I would always treat people with kindness. Mm-hmm. My mom had this saying, you know, when there were people who weren't very nice, you know, to me, she just said, kill them with kindness. And, and I actually, um, when I was in the second grade, I was bullied by a girl on the bus stop. And she bullied me for years, I guess three or four years. And my mom was the kind of person that said, just turn the other cheek. And um, finally, it took my being a little more assertive you know, and and really talking back to this person that actually made her stop. Mm-hmm. So so I've learned some things there about, you know, bullying and how if you don't speak up for yourself, and certainly you want others around you to support you as well, but if they don't, it's something that you have to take on personally so that you can counter that behavior, that people don't see you as being weak when really you're just trying to be kind. Mm-hmm. You know, but but you do have to be able to speak up for yourself and, and even act for yourself if necessary. That's but, where healthy boundaries come in. It keeps yeah, the bad yeah. out. It lets the good in, but it keeps the bad yeah. out. And you right. saw your value in the midst of all of this. You, because yeah. of amazing parents, you continue to see your value and your worth. What we value, we treat as valuable. What we value, right. we protect. It wasn't even an attack against her as you raised your voice. You were just saying, listen, this is unacceptable. I hold value. Therefore, no longer will you communicate to me like this. Right. And you address it. And really, that's not anger. That is self-respect and self-validation. And in the process, it allows you to draw that healthy boundary. Yeah. And I can tell you there were two people during my middle and high school. Well, this, this girl bullied me in elementary school, but there was another one who bullied me through middle and high school. And I will tell you that 25 years later, and now I'd moved to St. Louis, but I was back in New York visiting family, was in a grocery store and just happened to see this woman who had bullied me hmm. in the second grade, second and third grade. And I didn't see her, but she saw me. And she came up to me and she said, hey, Denise, she said, you know, I was really terrible to you. Aww. She said, and, and, and I just wanted to, I saw you, and I just wanted to come to you and tell you I am so sorry. Will you forgive me? And I was so taken aback by that. And I said, you know, it took me a few seconds, you know, and I'm looking at her, and I'm just kind of in my head very, very quickly, just thinking about the trauma, like all of the things that she did. And I said to her, I forgive you. I will try to forgive. 
And she just said, thank you so much because it's been weighing on me. Wow. And we parted ways. Um, another person who you know, bullied me in, during middle and high school it was years later we saw each other on um, LinkedIn and she sent a link and we sent a message to me saying, hey, Denise, you know, I'm going to be in the St. Louis area in a few weeks. I'd love to get together with you. And so I said, you know, I read that and mentioned it to a couple of people in my family and just kind of pondered and pondered. And then finally got back to her. I said, you know, that would be nice. When Let me know when you're in and we'll go to dinner. And so because I was familiar with the area, I picked the place and we met and we had dinner. We talked for about two and a half hours mm-hmm. and uh, over dinner. And I thought at some point she was going to apologize, but she didn't. But what she did do was she told me about her life and she told me about all the challenges in her life. And she talked about how her father has kind of disowned her and her sisters don't talk to her. She's kind of in the world feeling kind of alone. Mm. And I think she did that to because she maybe wasn't able to apologize, Mm -hmm. but that she could tell me a story that would give me some empathy. Mm. for her which it did and we still keep in touch and so there is the possibility of taking like lemons (laughs) making them into lemonade and you don't have to change yourself for that to happen you can continue to be good and do good so in those things where there was an acknowledgement or there was the communication Did that Mm -hmm. touch some areas that you might not have been this majorly wounded person because of it, because of your healthy family, but did it still bring an area of healing to your heart? Oh, most definitely it did. Because again, it's like, there's a book that's written, it's by Claudia Rancine and it's called Citizen. And it's not a very long book. I think it's got 160, 170 pages. And in the book, she talks about these experiences that people have, these microaggressions that are spoken and how, you know, they just kind of pile up. And she she never speaks to this bag of burdens, but that's how I interpret it. Mm. But it, but it just speaks to how, you know, cumulative impact mm-hmm. of negative messaging and, and negative experiences really does weigh on an individual. Yes. And so you have to find ways to... Um, to put that aside, at least until the next time, and then not to let that weigh on you as any negative qualities that you have, but just those are issues and problems that other people have. And so, you you know, it's interesting because I'm, I'm a spiritual person, so I just say, well, you know, I, I, I pray for healing for that individual. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I pray for understanding for that individual because I have this armor on that doesn't let it penetrate who I am or how I see myself. Mm-hmm. And it takes a while to get to that place. But it's been such a a powerful instrument for me as someone who has been doing diversity and inclusion, diversity, equity, and inclusion training for years now that I can enter a room and speak with any audience and regardless of their backgrounds, where they've come from, you know, what they might say in a session, 
you know, that could penetrate and be really hurtful, right? Um, or anything that's kind of negative. And it doesn't penetrate that, that bubble. That, you know, I, I believe that people have bubbles around them that need to be respected, that distance, you know. And I don't let things penetrate my bubble. And I also understand that we are only the products of our environment yeah. and of the things that we've been taught and things we still believe because we haven't had personal experiences that chip away at whatever those negative or stereotypical things might be. You've actually answered questions before I asked them, (laughs) which is so beautiful because what you're sharing with me now is how you have taken those painful things and it's brought out purpose. And now you are being such an instrument of validation and you're bringing healthy ways of thinking and believing and responding to others into your sphere of influence. And it's reproducing healthy ways of thinking. You're re-educating people. You're helping them unlearn some things from your even your own experiential reality. And so I honor you, Denise. You are an amazing woman who is making (laughs) such a difference in our world. Uh, Also check the Culture of Validation playlist because we're going to have Denise share a lot of solutions from what she does in her expertise in diversity and inclusion. So thank you so much, Denise, for being a part of my story. I love your story, and it is filled with solutions. And so I celebrate (laughs) you, and thank you for partnering with me. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm glad we found each other. I want to thank you for listening and encourage you to become a part of the Stopped Evaluation Movement. Be sure to like and follow Hashtag Stop Devaluation on social media, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and visit StopDevaluation.com for more information and free resources. You can help spread the movement by sharing with others, leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, and most of all, by living a courageous lifestyle of using your power for good. Go out and value someone today. Your life matters and you can make the world a better place. One word, one choice, one action of validation at a time.